Congregation in our sermon this afternoon will follow the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism, the Lord's Day 14, which you'll find on page 5. Day 14, question and answer 35 and 36. Question 35 asked, what do you confess when you say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? The answer, the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself through human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. And thus he is also the true seed of David, and like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? The answer, he is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are living in a time of unlimited possibilities. That's what many people, especially in Europe and North America, claim at times. They believe that there is practically nothing that science or technology cannot solve. Now, it's true, of course, that the accomplishments of mankind are very impressive. We can build space stations in which people can live for months. We can develop a shuttle service equipped with the Canada arm to visit that space station and then to return to Earth again. We can discover ways to see if there is water on the moon can drive a robot vehicle over the planet Mars to see if there are any life forms or traces of life forms there. We have satellites orbiting the Earth and with it we can see everything everywhere. We can also communicate with our cell phones in different ways and all over the planet. We can even make nice pictures with it, selfies and so can build warplanes that are remote controlled, able to find destroyed things and kill people. Can fire rockets programmed to find the targets by themselves and we have also rockets that destroy them again. We can measure and cut all sorts of things with light, with laser. We have powerful computers that do all sorts of work in a few seconds that would otherwise take years to accomplish. In medical science, we find cure after cure for different kinds of, of diseases that were always to be feared and deadly. We can transplant almost every organ of the body and can repair broken bodies beyond belief. And the promises for the, for the future 
are amazing to say the least. Can make babies outside the mother's womb. Can also kill them within the mother's womb. And then there is out of nowhere appears a potentially deadly flu. Then out of nowhere pops up and vaccine against it. It's amazing. Mankind has accomplished and is still accomplishing. And could go on with this for a long time because nothing is said about the wonders that are being designed in agriculture and about the new energy sources we discover and the way we claim to be influencing the, and change the, the change in the, world, in the world's climate. So in short, every facet of our life is influenced and by the convenience and the solutions of science and technology. And, for, and therefore, for so many people all around us, science and technology have taken the place of God. They put their trust in science and technology. Even, even people that claim to be Christians. Maybe you have heard it said too, that someone is, has, has attracted an a lethal, a fatal disease, and then, yeah, they have to go to the hospital, and then even Christian people said, well, they are in good hands, and we can always pray. But in the hospital, they are in good hands. We can always pray. Ever heard that? I, I hope we, we never say that. Our loved ones are always in good hands, because we commit them daily in prayer to God. But that's, that's the truth. For many, science and technology have taken the place of God. And that is done exactly why so many people in our time and in society claim that this is a time of unlimited possibilities. The thing is, that's not true. It's not true. Because all those things that I have named and all those things that men are developing ultimately have as main goal the finding of true and lasting happiness here in this life. And, and there is just no scientist, however brilliant, no technologist, however resourceful, who have been able or ever will be able to solve the problem of not finding true and lasting happiness in life, let alone in death. And we can see it everywhere. You, you, you could go to countries where there is famine and starvation year after year, and then you see all the violence and the cruelty that comes with it. Not much true happiness there. But actually, we don't have to travel that far at all. We can just stay here in our own country with all its prosperity, with all its luxury and all the conveniences and all the high technology and knowledge. And just ask an average fellow citizen if he or she has already found true lasting happiness here in this life. They will look at you with big eyes and wonder where you are coming from. In this life, here. And soon you get to hear an almost endless lament of, about disappointments, about worries, about sorrow, about grief. 
You hear about the regret of unfulfilled dreams, about, about broken relationships, pains and ills. We hear of depression and addictions, midlife crisis, not to mention the suffering because of the violence and selfishness of others. And, and also this list you could make so very long. And so, that problem we cannot solve. And that makes that time of unlimited possibilities a time of very limited possibilities. Never has there been a mortal being that could provide a solution for our biggest problem. There is no answer, no cure, no antidote, no solution for our mankind, our biggest problem. And, and when solutions and, 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 and cures were offered, they, often they made it worse after all. And so, we should really not have hope, any hope, that the from human side will ever come a good solution. Humanity's attempts have been at best highlighting the problem that we have, that lack of a lot, true lasting happiness. We could also say our misery. Already in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 10 and 11, there is that super wise King Salmon came to a very bleak conclusion. He wrote, I denied myself nothing that my heart desires. Well, he could do that because he was one of the richest men that ever lived. So, I denied myself nothing my heart desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work and this was the reward of my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what they had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, chasing after wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And after so many centuries, we haven't become, come any further. We can just not undo what we had done with our sin. We cannot restore the brokenness which we have caused. And Job just hit the nail on the head when he said, we read it in our scripture reading, who can bring what is pure from the impure? No one. In the next chapter he says, you read, what is man that he should be pure or he is born of a woman that he should be righteous? So, all those unlimited possibilities are so very limited after all. But you see, brothers and sisters, what's impossible by man is possible by God. God once said to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? And, and then right after that, he made that promise 
The promise of dissolution. The promise that would be fulfilled in spite of all human impossibilities. And from there on, the one who would be the solution of humanity's great impossibility has been coming to solve what no man could. And he came. He came in, in the fullness of time. He came in spite of all the impossibilities. And he came in in impossible ways. He came in, in spite of Sarah and Rebecca's initial barrenness. He came in spite of Esau's deadly hatred for Jacob. He came in spite of Pharaoh's attempt to annihilate the whole people of Israel in Egypt. He came in spite of David's cut-off stump. And in spite of humanity's total corruptness, God brings forth the solution to man's problem from that same humanity. He brings forth the clean from the unclean, the pure from the impure, and the righteous from the unrighteous. And that's the mighty miracle of our almighty God revealed to us in the gospel. And it is this revelation that our catechism summarizes from the gospel in Lord's Day 14 this afternoon. And I will preach it to you under the theme, God's only begotten Son, Son came into our flesh and then we will see first what we confess about it and then also what it means to us. First on what we confess about it. And then we then this afternoon answer that the question of what we confess about the coming into the flesh of the Son of God, then we need to do, do so First of all, very reverently. We need to answer it very reverently. Not so much because with this question we are on holy ground, but much more because the holy, almighty, pure Son of God steps to our unholy ground. You see, what we confess is so humanly impossible that we also need to confess it believingly, as opposed to automatically. Because it happened to be the subject of our catechism this afternoon, or, and we have heard it all our lives, we are used to it. Now we should confess it believingly. We should not confess it anxiously either, because we all know the world scoffs at our beliefs. We confess it also joyfully because this event and this event only means the certain delivery from that great problem, from our misery. God sets his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness over against our total impossibilities and impotence. Now the thing, the first thing that we confess about the coming into our flesh, the becoming true man of the Son of God is that he nevertheless remained true and eternal God. Now there have been attempts made to explain this miracle. How the 
almighty, eternal Son of God could become true man and at the same time remain eternal God. People have been trying to explain this, but they all have basically resulted in heresy. So we are not going to pry into these things that are not revealed to us, but we just believingly confess it. It is so. And, and we may do so on, on very good grounds because God's own word, word to us in John 1 verse 1 teaches us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then to make sure that we correctly understand who that word is, we read in verse 14 of the same chapter, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He remained God. Also in John 8, verse 58, our Lord Jesus himself says, Before Abraham was born, I am. And in Colossians 1, verse 15 through 17, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and explaining, <coughs> and explaining, explaining who Jesus Christ is, he writes, He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He always remained God. So important congregation, that we hold fast to that confession that the Son of God always was God and will always remain eternal God. And it's true, the, the world scoffs at it and consigns it, consigns it to the category of, of religious fables. The sad part is that a large part of what claimed to be Christianity dismisses all this as a metaphorical language. And piously states that this metaphorical language just symbolizes, symbolizes the greatness and the goodness of Jesus as a man. But that he, that, that's all he was. He was a man. He was just a great man. He was just a great teacher of man. Just like Gandhi and Martin Luther King. So we need to have it clear in our minds, but also solid in our hearts. That the Son of God remained God, also when he took upon himself our human nature. You see, we are all familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, and we already know from the Catechism that no mere creature is able to bear, to bear the burden of God's wrath. And so if Christ was not truly God, he could not have saved us. He could not have, he could not have carried and, and suffered the wrath of God from us for, his, for us. He must remain true and eternal God in order to save us. 
And so then his coming, his life would be in vain. And the Christ remains. God is clear also when we keep in mind just the way he was born. When normally a baby comes into the world, it's passive. No, no one of us here had anything to say about who their parents would be. But the Son of God chose Mary to be his earthly mother. David to be his earthly forefather. Joseph to be his earthly father. No, no one had any input of where he or she will be born, but the Son of God had already decided before the world was that he would be born in Bethlehem. And about 750 years before it would take place, he reveals by the mouth of the prophet Micah, in Micah 5 verse 2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Oh, we, you and I, have no say of when we will be born. But the Son of God had fully determined from eternity that it would be in the fullness of time. And it was revealed to the prophet Daniel that the fullness of time would be in the time that that iron Roman Empire would become divided as iron and baked clay are divided. That was the fullness of time. That was just the right time. And then he came. And then we read in the Catechism that he took upon himself a human nature from the Virgin Mary. And again, how that precisely possible, no one can explain. The Lord Jesus illustrated it in a beautiful way. Just before he went to the cross for us. He illustrated how that went. How he took upon himself a human nature. That was in John 13. Then we have that wonderful account of Jesus. And then we read, knowing that he had come from God and was returning to God in verse 3 of John 13. And that shows that he was fully aware of his divinity. His divinity, as a matter of fact, was the motivation of what he was about to do. And then you read that, so being aware of his divinity, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, that was the clothing he wore as the master and the Lord and the teacher of his disciples. He took it off and he wrapped himself a towel around his waist. And so having wrapped himself with a servant's towel, he served his disciples. Now that's a beautiful picture of what happened when the Son of God took upon himself true human nature. Just picture this. The Son of God rising from his throne, laying off his robe of glory. He emptied himself, the Apostle Paul said. And then he wrapped himself in the coarse garment of our human nature. Never to be separated from it again. 
to the contrary. In that coarse garment of our human nature, he would redeem, sanctify, and glorify our human nature. The Virgin Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Thankfully, really thankfully, Jesus had not a human father according to his ancestry. Joseph just filled the role of an earthly father. Thankfully, I said. Why? Because, you see, brothers and sisters, David was so right when he said in Psalm 51 verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Already at conception, brothers and sisters, we are sinful. And so in order to break that terrible chain of sinfulness being passed on at conception by our fathers. And also as evidence that he truly is God's son in the flesh, Jesus was conceived. Not by an earthly father, but by the Holy Spirit. That had to be so. He took upon himself the flesh and the blood of the Virgin Mary. And it says the Virgin Mary, not because a married woman is somehow more defiled, or less worthy, or more sinful than a virgin. That's nonsense. But to show, just to show that what's impossible by man is possible by God. That's what the angel Gabriel said to Mary. Because of Mary, his mother, Jesus is also the true seed of David. He is the promised son of David who will reign on David's throne forever. And so, the eternal, only begotten son of God became true man. And not only had he a real human body, but he had a whole human nature. That means he had also a true human soul. And so he became like his brothers, like you and me, in every respect. And his biography, as we find it in the four Gospels, witnessed to it. Just think about it. As a helpless child, he was laid in a manger, needed the caring and loving hand of his mom, needed to be fed, needed to be kept clean, needed to be protected, taught how to speak, how to walk. In growing up, he needed to be submissive to his parents because that also belonged to the things his father sent him to do. After he grew up, we read that he was tired, he had need for sleep, so much so that he fell asleep in a big storm on a lake. Need for food and drink. He was so hungry after 40 days that Satan told him vulnerable enough to tempt him to make bread out of stones. He knew thirst, as you find him at Jacob's well, and ask a Samaritan woman for water. It's a true human body, but also a true human soul. It shows so clearly when in the Gospels we see his eyes 
gleam of empathy and compassion. Yes, even tears of grief when he stands at the grave with his friend Lazarus. When he looks at Jerusalem as the city that he so loved. He knew gladness and joy in the spirit. But he also knew anger over the defilement of the house of his father. And indignation about the hypocrisy and heartlessness of a religion without love. And in the deep anguish of his soul, he seeks comfort in his disciples waking with him in the garden of Gethsemane. He was like us in every respect, except for sin. Except for sin. As the only righteous one, he walks all his life among a crooked and a depraved generation, and he loved them. Boldly could he face the religious leaders of his time and challenge them. Which of you convicts me of sin and remain silent? You see, brothers and sisters, such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Now that is, it all is what we reverently, believingly and joyfully confess about the coming into our flesh of the Son of God. This is our mediator who is true and righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures that is who is at the same time true God. There is the Lamb without blemish, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world. Now we'll look in our second point what the coming into our flesh of the Son of God means for us. The catechism asks the question, what benefit, what good thing, kids, does a benefit, is a good thing. So what benefit, what good thing do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? And then said the answer, he is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. See, I'll... I already referred to David in Psalm 51 verse 5 where he said, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now Christ is our mediator. That means that he literally stands between God and us. What God sees from us, his children, he sees through Christ our mediator. And so here we are, sinful from conception and birth. Now think about that. It is just not true that those little, tiny, cute babies are innocent. And therefore it is also not true 
that they only do wrong things because of the wrong examples they see when they grow up. That's what some Christians claim. And so a huge part of raising children, also babies, unto the Lord consists of parents teaching them to flee from and to fight sin and ask the Lord for a new heart, for a new nature. So important. They are not innocent. They just look cute, but they are not innocent. Need to be taught to fight against the sin, but find its source in the very nature, even when they're this big. You see, that's who we are, yes. Also, when we claim to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from Christ, without him, as our continuous mediator, the flames of God's wrath would immediately consume us, not in the first place of what we do, but of what we are. What, what are we? Born sinners, sinful by nature, conceived and born in sin. But now Christ is our mediator. And brothers and sisters, he begins his saving work just there where we began to be lost. His conception was holy and his birth was pure. And as a hen covers her chicks with a wing, so our mediator covers our sinful conception and birth. And so God the Father looks upon us as if we are clean and holy and pure as Christ himself. Our mediator was holy at conception, clean at, at his birth on our behalf. Our church father, Augustine, realizing that he was indeed sinful at conception and birth, once asked this question. He said, if I then already was conceived and born in sin, where and when was your servant ever without guilt? And our human answer would have to be that we were nowhere and never without guilt. But God's answer is Christ, the baby in the manger, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And by him, God proclaims to us that answer that Augustine was looking for. And that answer is where? And when, my child, were you ever without a mediator and a savior? A few days ago, we remembered that our savior came into this world. We stood, as it were, around the manger. And I so hope that we not in the first place joined the world in swooning over the helpless child and getting sentimental about little baby Jesus. But that you saw before you, there in that manger, God's answer to our, to mankind's unsolvable problem. God's answer to our misery. It is the greatest and the most astounding and most worthy of all worship, worthy of all of our worship and adoration, answer of God. No. Not for God, sorry. But it is that answer of the Lord again to that question that Job asks. 
What can, who can make the pure out of the impure? And Job says no one. But looking into the manger, we full of wonder exclaim what God once said to Abraham, our father, is anything too hard for the Lord? And so together we may lift up our voices and sing to our Lord who has those, done those wondrous things and who in the manger displayed his just salvation for the people that are conceived and born in sin. Amen. Let us just sing Psalm 91.